guys, thanks so much for tuning in again. It's uh, Brian Decker here with Dollars with Decker. I super, super appreciate all you guys tuning back in. Today is a very, very special day. Today we're gonna get down to the meat and potatoes of basically what I've kind of put myself together and positioned my investment portfolio has kind of really diversified over the years. And, and I don't ever like to prescribe somebody. I'm not a financial advisor. Um, I'm not a professional investor. I am just a regular guy that has an absolute insatiable hunger for constantly trying to learn. And in doing so, I have made a lot of failures and invested in Ponzi schemes, as I touched on last week. And I've also uh, hit a lot of home runs. And some of them have uh, really allowed myself to um, really donate my time to really kind of bring about education um, just to the the everyday guy that doesn't have the ability to, uh, you know, be able to go get their master's degree or spend three hours trying to uh, read or cipher through uh, financial journals. And so today we're going to be doing a really simple dive on Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, what personally changed my mind about it, as well as the minds of some of the very biggest investors and hedge fund managers in the world. Is it too late? Are you too late to the game? You know, if you've been watching the markets at all, you've probably seen a lot of the, the news kind of really kind of trashing the crypto market. I'm going to touch kind of briefly on that. And then I'm going to really kind of let you know, in my personal opinion, where I am placing my funds that I think is both the best for a long term investment strategy and then provide some of the, uh, you know, the negative feedback to crypto and kind of like to address that head on. So every week. I'm going to be 1230 right here on Saturday, right here on The Answer, and I'm going to walk you through each and every step of the way to kind of get you to the point of financial freedom. I don't want you to feel like, you know, even if you're starting at the very beginning, taking that first step is through education and you need to be skeptical of everything, you know, leading to a, a call I had got from my brother back in about 2013. My brother is brilliant, savant level intelligent, um, but he's kind of a weird dude. Um, we're very different, you know, in, in that regards. And so um, he has the ability to see things technologically and see things in a way that for most people, we're not able to see it until it comes to fruition. And one of those things he saw was, was Bitcoin. So he made a phone call to me and was like, Brian, Brian, you got to get into this thing called Bitcoin. And I was like, what? Isn't that the thing that people use to buy drugs, right? Because I remember, you know, when that originally kind of came out, that was a big thing over the internet. And, you know, they released a, a movie about it. And uh, you could, on the Silk Road is what I believe the website was called. And people use Bitcoin to pay for drugs. I'm like, I have a financial license. I cannot be buying something with money that has been linked directly to money laundering and drugs. And so I, I said no. And sure enough, at the time, it was probably $300. And then in 2017, I saw it going up and I, my brother's trying to get me in. I'm like, ah, it's a Ponzi scheme. Nope. I'm not getting in. I don't care. And that was my stance on it. And really the only thing that really changed or kind of piqued my interest was there's a gentleman by the name of Ray Dalio. And he wrote a book, the psychology of trading He's probably the most successful hedge fund manager of all times. And he released a, a, an article in 2019, where he fought for sound money. And what sound money basically means is, and what you have to understand what sound money is, is, is we used to here in the United States, every $1 bill equated to $1 worth of gold. And then what had happened is Roosevelt was forced to rem kind of pull away from that where it was only a portion of $1 of gold back to every gold. Our gold reserves had dramatically dropped. And then in 1971, the U.S. removed us officially off the gold standard. 
And so the US dollar today is simply only works because when I take this piece of paper and I walk into a store and I give them that piece of paper, that number 10 on it has a certain denomination of value that says, hey, this little piece of paper that's worth $10 will get me some particular item. And all I'm doing is trading, right? I'm trading an IOU basically, this, you know, or a swipe of a credit card. I have X amount of dollars in my bank. This is proof of it. And it's going to clear for this good. And you're going to hand me this good. Sound money is something that people cannot mess with. They can't water it down. And the U.S. dollar and all fiat currencies, as, as they're called, you can water them down. And nobody in America really cared about this or even thought about this until COVID slapped us in the head. And when COVID slapped us in the head and I thought to myself, wait, did they just inject how many trillions of dollars into the money supply system? And the best way I can explain it is, let's think of the U.S. government and the U.S. economy having a certain value to it, right? Just like anything else, just like the Apple as a company. Let's say the U.S. government is worth $1 trillion. In every dollar bill, there was one trillion of them in circulation. So every dollar bill was one one trillionth of the value of the the value of the United States government, right? So a trillion dollar value of the government and there's one trillion dollar bills. And so every dollar bill was equal to one one trillionth of that. Well, it makes sense. Well, you have a certain faith in it because you're like, okay, cool. This little dollar bill is worth one one trillionth of the overall, you know, economy of the government. And so if I take this bill, it's going to give me, you know, one dollar, let's call it. Well, what happens is if we as a country did not grow and bring in any more revenue in the country and we just decided to, yeah, here, here's a 25% increase in the circulation of dollar bills. But hey, guys, guys, I promise you that $1 bill is still worth the same amount of money even though our company's not worth any more, the United States as a, as a company, we're not worth any more money, but, and there's 25% more of them. I promise you, they'll still give you the same buying power. People started to think like, this is the biggest hoax in the world, right? And you think about it because you got the Fed and you got the treasury, right? So the Fed sets the interest rates and the treasury prints the money. Think of the Fed as dad and the treasury as mom, right? And imagine, right? that the treasury, we owe all this debt, we owe all this money, and that's mom, and that's mom. Now imagine if dad could control the interest rate at which mom paid on her credit card, right? Think of it that way. If the United States government has a $1 trillion balance on their credit card, and that interest rate on it was set by her husband, do you think her husband's gonna be raising the interest rate on her own credit card? Absolutely not, right? Why? Because it's gonna raise her payments. And that's where we are in the United States government today, right? So. If you guys are just kind of tuning in, I wanted to kind of paint that backdrop to why I personally, who was one of the biggest naysayers in the crypto space, started to think of something different. It's because we injected 25% more money in the US economy than has ever existed. We had a trillion dollars, let's just call it, of dollar bills sitting in a room and we threw, you know, another $250 billion into that room and we said, hey, you know what, guys, just pretend this doesn't exist. I promise you it's not going to affect your buying power, right? So I saw that coming and I was like, okay, something's screwed up here. So I went and started looking into gold, right? Because gold has always been known as sound money. And so what you got to understand what sound money is or something of a store of value is, it has to have something called a finite supply. And you, to have something really hold its value, you need a finite supply, right? That means there can't be a ton of it. It's got to be rare. 
Two, it's got to have some type of utility to it, right? Gold, you can use it in, you know, to make jewelry, to put in microchips. You can use it into all these different things. And then three, it's got to have a certain level of difficulty to obtain it, right? Why is gold, uh, you know, it's finite in supply, you know, it has some utility, but also a lot of the values is it's hard to get, okay? You can't just go outside and pick up and hope you find a you know, piece of gold outside, right? No, you got to drill for it and mine for it and do all of that. And the cost to obtain it obviously gives value to it, right? Because gold can't be worth $300 an ounce if it costs in manpower and machining to go ahead and bring it out at $1,000 an ounce. No, gold's going to be at at least $1,000 an ounce, right? So I want you to kind of remember that thought right there. And so I understood that that's what things of value meant. So enter in Bitcoin. And so I didn't understand what all these cryptocurrencies were, or why there were so many of them. But I was like, okay, you know, Bitcoin is the, the OG one. Let's, let's see what Ray Dalio is talking about, right? And, you know, Kathy Wood, who is the most successful female investor ever of all times and conservative in nature. Why is she liking Bitcoin now? Wow. Okay. Elon Musk is starting to like it, you know, and wait. This guy named Michael Saylor, who runs an extremely large public company, just is moving a ton of his U.S. dollars out of the U.S. dollar treasury and into Bitcoin in the form of billions. And okay, what is going on here? So I looked into it. And so I want to explain Bitcoin to you guys very simply. So Bitcoin itself is a network. It's the best way I can explain it. And you're like, well, how can a network be worth some money, right? Well, what you have to think about is this. If you do not like that the United States government can just devalue your money by just printing more of it and causing it to plummet. And if you don't believe that that's happening, I guarantee you go to the gas pump and compare it to where it was a year and a half ago. What is your rent compared to a year and a half ago? Where is the same house that you were going to buy across the street in that price a year and a half ago? Where's that gallon of milk, right? All of those things have gone up tremendously in price called inflation, right? The rising of goods and the cost of goods and services. And I didn't like that. And I didn't like the fact that I was working so hard to make money and I was putting it in the bank account and it was losing six to 7% of its value because the dollar that I put in there a year ago in my savings account, that's earning 1% interest. I, that same dollar gets me, you know, 95% of what it would a year ago. So I'm saving all this money and it's losing its value as I'm putting it in the bank. So enter in Bitcoin. And you remember how I told you guys that thing about gold, right? A lot of gold, how gold has its value is the cost to go ahead and obtain it. Well, when Bitcoin was started, it was started by a pseudonymous person that we do not know or a group of people called Satoshi. And he wrote a white paper. And what this white paper basically said is the world's money supply and the world's money is screwed up. That governments control this money. They can print as much money of it. We lose its value. We're working super hard. And then when we want to take that money that we've worked so hard for and we want to then transfer it, we get charged crazy fees, right? If I want to take $100,000 and I want to take it and I want to send it to my brother who lives in Hungary, guess what? First off, it's going to cost me 45 bucks to go send that doll, that money to him just to wire fee. Then it's going to clear through the Fed. It's going to take a day to do that. Then my brother's going to get charged by going ahead and receiving that money in Hungary. He's going to get charged a fee and then he's going to have to convert it to euros and he's going to even get charged more money. So by the time I'm done with it, its value that hits his count is probably $97,000 or $98,000 of the hundred grand I sent him. And it took three days to do it, right? Now enter in Bitcoin. What Bitcoin is designed as an electronic payment system that basically I could immediately convert whatever currency I wanted in the world into this digital coin. And this digital coin could be sent across the network in milliseconds and be basically shoot across that network, go to my brother, hit his account. He could hold it in that Bitcoin that would now be decentralized, meaning nobody can control it and he could convert it to its, his currency. So I was able to take value of something and send it from me to him almost instantaneously, right? Now, 
in order to do that and send that money through that, you want to be able to not have to do it on the Visa network or not have to do it on something that's controlled, right? Because the very nature of somebody controlling something is the very nature of what's causing the dollar to lose its value. So there was something called a decentralized nature, meaning and a network that had to be built. And that network, in order for money to move across it, and have something go from point A to point B, it had to be verified, right? So if I'm going to send my Bitcoin from my pocket to my brother's account, my wallet to his wallet, it needed to be verified. And that verification process and building that secure network is called mining, okay? And so think about this way. If you want a bunch of people from all over the world, a bunch of computer geeks to build a network, how are you going to pay them, right? Like, how are you going to be able to do it if you're just starting on something? If you're not super rich, what are you going to do? You're, you can't, you're not going to fund it. You're going to figure out how are we going to do this? And that's where Bitcoin came about. They said, hey, as you're mining these Bitcoin, the way Bitcoin works is, is after every block, which takes roughly 10 minutes to basically do a block, meaning every transaction that goes across, it gets verified by everything on that transaction through something called proof of work. And basically, once all those blocks get verified at the end of the block, a Bitcoin or a number of Bitcoin are released and they're spread out based through the miners who are helping do those verification, aka basically they're solving complex mathematical problems and they're being rewarded in this thing called a Bitcoin. And what was happening is it started out as basically 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. And so every 10 minutes it was released at 50 Bitcoin. Well, all of a sudden when you are paying somebody in a particular digital currency to build a very secure network so people like me and you can send money across it without losing ton of its value and the money we're sending across it isn't being manipulated and being mass printed, how are we going to determine what the value of that money is? Like, where does the value of the first Bitcoin come about? Well, remember I told you gold cannot fall below a certain price because it costs a certain amount of money to get gold out of the ground. That's what something of a store of value is. Well, Bitcoin's price came from what type of power, like physical electricity power, did it take to mine one full Bitcoin. And that's where that came about. And guess what? The way Bitcoin's network works is there is a finite supply of it. It said to complete basically this network that we are going to be rewarding these miners every 10 minutes with a certain amount of Bitcoin automatically using blockchain technology. And we're going to start out with 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. And then guess what? Every four years, approximately, um, you know, based on a certain number of blocks that are done, we're going to cut that down instead of 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes, it's going to be 25 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. So as the more and more you work on the network, the mathematical problems become more and more difficult. They take more and more time and they take more and more energy. Think about it that way. If, if it's harder to get gold, the longer we're mining for gold. Why? Because it's further and further in the earth and the pricing of things are going up, the power to fuel it gold price goes up, right? Like if all of a sudden everything in the world became twice as more expensive labor to pull it out, machinery to pull out all these things that did, what would happen to gold? Gold price would come up because nobody's going to mine gold and lose money for the gold they're mining. And that's what they did. They said, so for the last every approximately four years, something called a halving comes about where all the Bitcoin miners, the amount of Bitcoin that is automatic released automatically through the blockchain and divvied up to all the people that are working as miners on it is cut in half. So it was cut at 25 from 50 to 25. And that happened in the first halving, okay? Roughly about the 2012 to 2013 run. Then after that, in 2016, 2017, another halving, and that cut down from 25 to 12 and a half. Well, guess what? It's much harder to mine for a Bitcoin now because of the difficulty of the mathematic problems, verifying it on the network to keep this network secure and so forth and so on. So there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin ever put into existence. And here we are in 2021. And in May of 2020, we reached a halving 
And now only 6.75 Bitcoin are released every 10 minutes. And so what you know is if only half of something is going to be provided as the reward. Okay. So think about it that way. And if you guys are just tuning in, I'm, I'm explaining kind of how Bitcoin came about as simply as I can put and why I went from being the world's biggest non-believer to being a Bitcoiner, as you would say, and is your reward used to be 12 and a half Bitcoin for completing a block on the blockchain. And then in May of 2020, approximately, it got cut down to 6.75. Well, the further and further you code on the network or verified transactions on the network, the more and more difficult it is to solve these extremely complex mathematical problems, which is how you verify that a transaction is there. So if I'm sending that Bitcoin across the network to my brother, that has to be verified by all these nodes or these computers, and every one of them has to verify it before that transaction clears. Well, the more and more transactions that are done, obviously the more and more work on the network, obviously the more and more complex these problems get and the more and more secure the network gets. So Bitcoin is when it's built and it's is it is now is the most secure network in the world, okay? And that's its value is it is so, so secure to send money across as an electronic payment system. And at the same time of being able to do that, it is not controlled by anybody because guess what? There's not one single individual that can say yes or no, or undo a block. No, all these individuals have to verify a transaction by a certain percentage to allow that transaction to go through. And they're rewarded by doing that in the form of Bitcoin. And now it is probably, I don't know what the number is, but it's some astronomical number, like a hundred times more complex to mine Bitcoin today than when it started. And you're only being given six and a half, or excuse me, 6.7 Bitcoin every 10 minutes through all the miners to be spread out versus it started out as 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. So by the very nature of something being finite, it is, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin ever in existence. There's about 18.7 million currently that have been mined so far. Now, from that point in time, what you're going to really want to understand is, is when we look at and we break down the value of Bitcoin and why it's needed, okay? Now you kind of know how it came about and kind of how it works. Now you want to know, okay, people say, oh, but Bitcoin's just nothing. It's not worth anything. Well, what's your dollar worth? It's a freaking piece of paper. And guess how hard is it if I want to have my physical dollars and I want to actually take them and I want to give them to my brother in Hungary. I want to pay for something. What am I going to do? Freaking put them in the mail and mail them over there? No, I got to go deposit in a freaking bank, right? And what do I do? Oh, I convert it to digital currency, right? Oh, how is that so hard for people to understand? Bitcoin is a digital currency, okay? It is a store of value. Why is it a store of value? It meets the, the basics of a store of value. What it does is, is it's finite in supply. It's 21 million are ever in existence. There can never be any more created ever. Number two. It's difficult to get. It's extremely difficult to get, okay? Mining it is not something that you can just go and easily do. Three, it has utility. I can send it as an electronic payment system. And that is why I'm being deemed as digital gold. Now, none of these things really caught people's attention until they watched COVID happen and they watched the printing presses of the world turn on. And they realized how easy it was for governments to make money out of thin air, okay? And what you don't understand is the U.S. is an insane amount of debt. Our debt to GDP ratio, best way I can explain it, is if the United States was a married couple, their pre-tax income would be $100,000 
and their credit card bills would be 1.4 million. Okay. And the interest on those credit card bills luckily is being controlled by the husband and it's the wife's credit card or vice versa. So as long as he keeps that at 1% or close to zero, he can make his interest payments. But guess what happens if you keep interest rates at a very, very low period for a very, very low time and you throw a bunch of money into the economy? You get inflation. And guess what holds up during times of inflation? Stores of value, gold, silver. And people started to realize this. Huh. Bitcoin could really be a very useful thing. And prior to this, it had no real use case. And then now we start to actually get into the play of, okay, Bitcoin, after a halving, just like anything else, starts to go up in value. It's a very easy mathematic formula. If you look, every single halving cycle, right after it halves, there's a period of time of people are like it's consolidating or it kind of trades. And then it goes on a parabolic bull run. It happens every single time. To give you an idea, from the time it halved to the peak, it went up about 100x, you know, approximately in the very first bull run. Okay. Then from that point, every single bull run thereafter, it has gone ahead and gone way, way, way up in value. So I realized this in 2013, if it went up 100x from where it started, in 2017, it went up 30x from when it started. And in 2020, when it halved, we were roughly trading in the call it six to $9,000 range. Even if it goes up 10x, we're talking, you know, $90,000. And, and now, mind you, in 2013 and 2017, Bitcoin was not even involved by institutional investors. It was purely speculative. So now that we have COVID and we see people having it, guess what started to happen? Institutions and hedge funds started realizing the same thing that a lot of individuals had realized, but they were kind of the weirdos, the crypto weirdos. And so they started going ahead and actually quietly putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet. As Jamie Dimon, the CEO or the president of Chase famously said in 2017, if I find any traders of mine trading Bitcoin, they will be fired. And what so happened did they find about six to nine months after he said that in a bank account in Swiss was Jamie Dimon had bought Bitcoin. Okay. Now people, if it's not for everybody and do I think you should be a massive exposure to it? No, I don't. But if you think that the United States is a poorly run economic powerhouse and that we are an insane amount of debt and that our prices are going up because the only thing that can cure prices would be raising interest rates, but we can't raise interest rates because we can't afford the payments on our debt then I would strongly suggest you looking at Bitcoin from a different eye because what you have to do and you have to understand it is 10 years ago when it started, it was not what it is today. And in 10 years from now, it's not what it is. It will not be what it is today. And so it is not too late to buy it. I personally do a large amount of it. I recommend buying it for dollar cost averaging in. don't FOMO in. And I just wanted to take this time to really kind of give you some of that backstory on that light because next week I'm going to be really dialing in for you guys, not only Bitcoin, but just kind of explaining some of the crypto space to you guys in general, what Ethereum is, that not everything is trying to be a currency. Think of it this way as a, Ethereum is like um, iOS, like that, you know, on your Apple iPhone, iOS is the operating system that runs it. And all these cryptocurrencies that you hear, they're like apps, like on an iPhone, right? Not every app is trying to be iOS. No, they serve a particular function. Ethereum is iOS. And these different crypto projects, they're not trying to be money. They're trying to be applications. And it is changing the world. 
take it from a guy who talked a bunch of nonsense on it to a guy who now for free spends probably 20% of his day studying it, researching it and spreading the news about it. So if you're skeptical, be skeptical. It took me a long time, but mind you, don't be ignorant. There's a difference. And so stay tuned next week, 1230 PM right here on the answer. As I go in on some of my personal price predictions, how I would weight a portfolio and uh, what I see crypto doing to this world and how you can protect your wealth and create generational wealth from your family. So it was an absolute pleasure as always. Stay tuned in, follow me on Instagram. Um, I post a ton of stuff there. It's at the Brian Decker. Um, Check that out for you guys. And I will be right back here, same time, same place, 1230 p.m. Pacific time, right here on The Answer. That's Dollars with Decker. See you next week.